0: Thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit RiverstoneChurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. Last Sunday afternoon, uh, many of us were up in Rutgersville at uh, the Barn Revival, and one I just, Amen. Amen, amen. Uh, we believe that the Lord uh, really ministered to some people, and I want to share, actually, the message this morning kind of stems out of that, uh, and so I'll kind of weave some of what I'd like to share into the message, but uh, what I would just like to share with you individually as a congregation is just thank you so much. Um, You uh, showed up, uh, you were on mission, you did what needed to be done, and I just couldn't thank you more. I know you did it for the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the beauty of it. It was people serving Jesus, doing the work of Jesus uh, around uh, the barn and just everything that uh, went on there. And so just thank you all so much for everything that you did to help encourage people, bless people, bring people together, uh, cause people to be convicted uh, of, uh, which is a grace. You know, we often see that in a negative light, conviction in a negative light, but conviction is actually a grace of the Holy Spirit. It's God's grace at work. So when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's actually the Lord saying, stop and turn. This isn't good where you're heading. And so it is certainly a, uh, a work of uh, the Holy Spirit. And so we want to uh, just recognize that, and God was doing that in, uh, in the service and baptisms and the move of the Holy Spirit that followed. And so I just want to thank each and every one of you uh, for being a part of that, uh, whether it was through prayer, through attendance, participation, whatever whatever it was. Leonard Ravenhill said this. Uh, he was a, uh, one of the older who's gone on to be with the Lord, and um, he uh, wrote about revival, wrote about prayer, studied prayer, studied uh, revival. He said uh, a couple quotes I want to share with you. As long as we are content to live without revival, we will. He also said, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you won't have to advertise it. The community will already know it. A.W. Tozer said, have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late? Now, again, Tozer has gone on and he is with the Lord. Now, so this is the quote is quite some time ago. And how little revival has resulted. I believe the problem is that we've been trying to substitute praying for obeying, and it simply will not work. Prayer is important, but obedience is also important. And so we have to think about These things, in terms of our prayers and longing uh, for revival. And so, you know, after Sunday afternoon, Monday evening, there are some brothers who actually came out and participated in what was going on at the barn on Sunday. Some brothers who came who were from over in. Uh, the valley who are uh, praying and seeking the Lord as well and just kind of taking a tent and setting it up in various places, inviting local churches uh, to come and to uh, participate in our praying and seeking the Lord as well for revival. And Nicole and I uh, thought, hey, uh, the, the older children are at home tonight on Monday night. Let's take a break and drive over to Luray and visit with our friends who are doing the tent revival. And so we did that and as i was sitting there in the service and uh hearing what the what the lord was doing and um, uh, uh worshipping the lord and, and thinking about what was happening and thinking about what went on on sunday uh the lord helped direct me to uh hosea chapter uh 10 and verse 12 and that's what i want to share with you uh this morning uh hosea Chapter 10 and uh, verse 12. So you're going to kind of let your Bible fall in the middle, and then you're going to turn to the right. So that's where you're going to find Hosea. It's one of the um, minor prophets, which means it's one of the smaller books. Not that his message wasn't as important, but just that the length of his writing was less than some of the other uh, prophetic books. And so uh, we'll turn to Hosea, and we'll just read one verse out of it and spend the bulk of the message really giving context for that verse and then um, uh, pointing out some things that uh, we should be aware of and then calling us to a time of of prayer. If you'll stand with me when you uh, reach Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. The word of the Lord says to us, So with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to reign righteousness on you. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us today to break up our fallow ground. Lord, help us to be a people who uh, thinks about this, who really reflects upon this passage, Uh, but doesn't just sit in a mode of uh, reflection, but then acts with obedience. I think that's what Tozer was getting at when he said, pray, 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 but then at some point you have to obey. So let's pray, but let's also obey what the Lord is speaking to us. So, Lord, I thank you for this prophetic book. I thank you, God, for uh, the words that were written by the prophet Jose. Lord, I pray, God, that you would uh, just minister to us the power of the Spirit here over the next few moments, Lord, and help us to be driven to prayer, but also be driven uh, to action. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for the ministry of the Spirit that's in our midst today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to work through this entire book of Hosea uh, at another time. We'll return uh, to Acts uh, shortly, but I'd like to work through this book as well. At some point, once we finish up the book of Hosea, uh, acts but for for now just to give you some basic uh, context and background so it gives us an idea of why this was written and the time period in which it, was written. What's interesting, particularly about uh, the prophetic book, uh, the prophetic writings here in Hosea, is uh, that he's heavily, uh, pretty heavily quoted in the Gospels and the Epistles. You, his writings come up again and again uh, in uh, the New Testament. And so, kind of the background uh, during this time in which Hosea was uh, prophesying, Israel was divided into two. Uh, kingdoms so if you kind of kind of have to go back into the Old Testament to get some history and I'm going to try to walk through it really fast to give uh, some context but Israel as a nation was kind of divided into uh, two separate nations there was the the northern uh, kingdom which was referred to as Israel and the southern kingdom of uh, Judah both kingdoms were uh, Jewish but they had uh, split uh, after the reign of uh, Solomon, the northern kingdom, as you read through the Scriptures, was generally unrighteous, was ultimately uh, overcome by the Assyrian Empire. Hosea and Amos, and when you read through the prophetic books, Hosea and Amos are the only two writing prophets, meaning the only two who actually wrote a book uh, that is in our scriptures, that that book is specifically meant to focus on uh, the Northern Kingdom. That Northern Kingdom had turned away from uh, the Lord. And in essence, what they were doing, they were saying, God bless us, bless us, bless us. But as God was blessing them, they were taking that blessing that God was giving to them and then turning it, and using it in order to worship pagan deities, in order to kind of go after their own pleasure and their own desire. God bless us, but instead of using it to return to you as an offering, we're going to go and we are going to seek to uh, uh, bless the uh, pagan gods, the demonic gods that we are worshiping. And God calls the prophet Hosea and commands him, uh, which is interesting. You know, we all feel like that we can kind of peg down uh, who God is and uh, peg down how God is going to work in this particular situation or that particular situation. But when you start reading out in uh, Hosea, what you find is some, some things about God that are like, it makes you really sit back and think, does our God really act in this way? And so as you begin to kind of read this, uh, this prophetic uh, book, what you find is that God calls Hosea to actually act out in real time what God's heart is feeling over the nation of Israel. And he says, Hosea, I I want you to go and I want you to marry a harlot. Now, how, how does that work in your theological schema? And I want you to have children with her. And God says, you're not going to name them, I'm going to name them. And God names them according to his contempt for the sin of Israel. And God paints a picture through the prophet to describe his relationship with Israel. And this is what we have to think about as we seek to uh, see the, the work and the giftings of the Spirit at work within our, our church. Some gifts, the people act a little differently. Some giftings, God works in people a little differently, and we have to be comfortable with that. It kind of makes us take a step back and think through what God is speaking, and what God is doing. God says through Hosea that he is like the faithful husband and Israel is like the unfaithful wife. The unfaithful wife goes again and again back to her lovers and forsakes her husband, and judgment is wrought upon her. But God has never forsaken her. Hosea 2.19 says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and loving kindness and in compassion. Now put yourself in the place of Hosea. Put yourself in his place and think about what God asked him to do. And then place Hosea 2.19 in your lips, knowing what the one who you've called to be faithful to you is doing. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and loving kindness and in compassion. You see, the heart of God, even after unrepentant people, is its longing, and pulling, and pushing. Yes, there is judgment. There is a time of judgment. There is a time of God's swift wrath. But you see, in even iniquity and sin, God is longing, pushing, yearning for that coming back to Him in righteousness. As you look through uh, Hosea, what what you will see, and and the way my. Bible is written, you kind of see it even on the lines of the pages it 's written in prose, all except for chapter One and chapter three, meaning that everything else is poetic, uh, all of the other chapters are written in a sort of of poetry Now think about our culture and our day if you kind of want to get in a in a mood for something so for instance if if I want to kind of focus my heart in and kind of Close other things out. I want to focus my heart in the Lord. I may put in uh, some headphones and I may begin to listen to praise music because that begins to cultivate a heart in which I'm focused on God and other things are away and, and kind of pushed aside. If you want to kind of make an impression on, uh, on, on your wife or something and you, you want to put on a love song or something like that, you're trying to create a mood, right? That's how we kind of experience our culture. We're drawn uh, to music. Well, what is music except except uh, poetry set to sounds, to instrumentation? It expresses emotion. It brings out in us emotion. And that's why often the prophetic books you see are written in a poetic understanding because there is an emotional side to them that God is working out both in an individual, but God is working it out through that individual to his people. And so you see in Hosea this kind of Poetic understanding, poetic emotion, this passion behind the words. And in chapter 10 of Hosea, God is laying out his case against Israel. That the blessings of God, the production of the land that has been bountiful, but the more Israel has been blessed, the more they have used those blessings to serve other gods. They have trusted in their own military and political power to protect them. In Hosea 10.10, God accuses them of double guilt, and that's exactly what it is, taking his blessings and using them to worship pagan gods, and also, the second, trusting in their military and political power. He accuses them of a double guilt in Hosea 10.10. You can apply that how you want, in our own day, in our own country, right? We celebrated our independence last week, how blessed we are, right? How blessed we are as a people, but how are we using those blessings? Those blessings become self-serving. Do those blessings become in or those blessings for the glory and exaltation of Jesus. Your, your paycheck that hopefully you receive in your bank account periodically, you may, you may think that is for your personal blessing, but actually we, we ask you, you know, in, in tithing and in giving, give some to the local assembly in order that we may together do the work of the Lord, but it's really 100% of the Lord's. Even what you spend for your own sustenance is to be done to the glory of God. Oh, I want this, and I want that, and I want that. Well, how do this and that and this, how does that bring glory and exaltation to Jesus? You are a steward, not just of the 10%, but of the 100%. And that's what God is accusing through Hosea the prophet, the kingdom of Israel, of not stewarding their blessings well. He says, you've also trusted in your military power, trusted in your military might. <clears throat> it has been a long time for the United States to have been the superpower of the world. We think of it in those type of terms. We think of our place in our country in those type of terms, that we are protected. Our country is powerful. Yes, we may be going through some rocky storms right now, but but overall, we are a powerful people due to our military muscle and our military might, and I'm thankful for those who serve in our armed forces, but we can't put our trust in those things. As a people, our trust must be in the Lord. Have we used our blessings for our own benefit? See, we're not laboring for rest next week or rest later on in the summer or rest in the fall. You and I are laboring for an eternal rest, and the Bible calls us to continually labor until we enter into that rest. We're to be in the Lord's vineyard, and are we as a people serious about that? Are we serious about our labor for the Lord? As a church, we are praying for a move of God that calls people to repentance, calls them, C-A-L-L-S, them, C-A-L-L-S, calls them to come into a saving relationship with Jesus and to live in the fullness of His Holy Spirit. And there's labor that goes into that. There's labor in prayer there's labor in sharing there's labor in seeking the lord for his steps ahead and when you begin to pray for revival what happens is you begin your heart begins to break because you won't pray for long without sensing what god's heart is so you won't engage in prayer long in prayer be in prayer very long, for a long period of time without sensing where God's heart is on these things. And God's heart is broken over sin. And as we pray, it's one of the means that God uses to change our heart, our emotions, and our desires to what is going on in His heart. We've come in many traditions to think of prayer as a means to just change my personal circumstances. God, deliver me, heal me, move in me, change me, and all those things are good, but prayer is also a means for you to connect with the Lord in such a way that God kind of opens his heart and the pain that God feels over unrepentant humanity, and you begin to feel a little, a touch, a taste of what is going on in God's heart, and then that becomes the passion of your heart. That's essentially what the prophetic tradition is. When you pray for God to work in certain ways, you have to be prepared for your emotions and your heart to be changed. Are you prepared for that? Am I prepared for that? I like the concept or notion of revival, right? I like the idea of like a move of the Spirit and a a move where God is just touching people and there's this transformation and God's power is there and people are rejoicing and repenting and confessing. I, I love the idea of that, but do we love what it takes to get to that? which is a brokenness over sin, a coming to understand how God's heart is grieved over the sinfulness of humanity. So what had happened to Israel was that the ground of their heart had laid fallow. The ground of their heart was fallow. If you've been around Riverstone very long, what you know is that we like to give away lots of Kroger food. (laughs) Kroger uh, blesses us in many ways, and what Kroger probably doesn't realize is that they are helping us to spread the gospel because food tends to bring people, doesn't it? And when you go into neighborhoods and you're giving away free food, people will tend to listen to what you have to say Uh, in order to get some food. Now, when you and I think about this uh, loaf of bread, we think, oh, that might be something nice to eat. That might be something good to eat. But where does this start? Where does this bread start? The bread doesn't start with the flour, it doesn't start with all the other ingredients that go into the flour. It actually starts with grain, and it technically doesn't even start uh, with grain. You can think, well, it starts with the seed of, of wheat or barley or whatever it's made out of. It starts with that seed that actually goes in the ground, but it really doesn't even uh, start with that. It actually starts with someone thinking about a plot of land and what to do with that particular plot of land how you begin to prepare the soil. So this comes from a long, long journey all the way back to a field and someone in their brain thinking, someday what I'm going to do is going to produce this. But it's a long ways from there to here. And actually what's interesting about this is you can't look at this and get back to where it started you can't take a bite to this and get back all the way. You can't put it back in such a way that you get back to the beginning. It is totally transformed from where it started. Growing up on a farm, I've shared that with you guys a lot. You may get tired of hearing it, but it does help uh, when you are working through the scriptures because there's so much uh, agrarian uh, idea within the scriptures the sowing and planting and reaping. But growing up, my, the home uh, where I grew up in was right in the middle of a field. And so any given year, there may be watermelons, there may be corn, there may be soybeans, there may be wheat that was planted outside. And so what happens in the beginning? It begins with someone being willing to till the soil. And every so often, periodically, uh, a farmer will leave the ground. What we called that was no-till. You would uh, leave the soil and it would be a a, a no-till situation where you don't put a disc in, you don't don't put the plow in, you don't put the disc in, you don't do any of that. You just kind of leave it and let it lay fallow, and what you'll begin to see is the top of uh, the dirt will begin uh, to grow hard, kind of, and be hardened on the top, and even uh, through the field, maybe weeds will begin to come up, and so fallow ground can tend to be hard soil, and so what has to happen when the soil comes back into production is what we think about in terms of a plow. The plow is what begins to stir it up first, but when you stir it up through a plow, there are still clods of dirt that are still compacted together. And so, in order to get it suitable for planting, you actually have to break up those clods of dirt. So, there's another run with a, a, a machine that's called a disc, and it's this disc, and it big, runs through the field, and it breaks up all the clods of dirt. Now, make the personal application there to yourself. When the, 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 the ground of your heart is fallow, there has to be some work that is done there in order to prepare it for the planting of the Lord. And sometimes that work is painful. Sometimes that work is difficult. But if that work doesn't happen, it cannot produce life. I had a beautiful large oak tree that was in my front yard. And uh, it was shady. I'd cut a bunch of trees and I'd specifically left that tree in my front yard uh, because it was big and beautiful and gave a lot of uh, shade around the front yard. And uh, about a year and a half ago, I noticed almost, it seemed to me overnight, I'm sure it was longer than that, but overnight I look out and all the leaves are brown. And I called our resident tree expert a few weeks ago, uh, Brother Downing, and uh, I asked him, would you come take a look? And this is an oak tree, a nice tree. And he said a few years ago, he said it was so much rain on the soil that compacted it all down. He said oak trees need a lot of, uh, a lot of air in the soil. And he said because the soil was so compacted down, it, it killed the root system and the tree died as a result. See, there in order to, If I thought in order to be able to save the tree, there would have had to been a tilling up of the soil around the root system, a tilling up of what was left fallow. And that's what Hosea in chapter 10 and verse 12 is speaking to us about today. So in the human heart, plowing up the fallow ground is a painful process, turning the rough exterior in order to make it suitable for the planning of the Lord. There are some who are resistant to that, resistant to what God wants to do, trying to control our own destiny, refusing the Lord's plan, plan to break up the fallow ground. Kind of tough to say it this way, but like the harlot that keeps going back to her lovers instead of going to her husband. And so the solution, Hosea tells us, is to break up your fallow ground. And this is the main point of verse 12. And again, just kind of going back to to help us all understand together, Hebrew poetry is such that if you think of kind of like an, an hourglass feature, what is in the middle of this verse is most important. So the way they would write is give some idea Focus on what is in the middle. The middle portion is important, and the rest flows from that. So the middle portion of this verse is what is most important. Break up the fallow ground in order to, back at the beginning of the verse, sow with a view to righteousness and reap in accordance with kindness. To the end of the verse, for it is time to seek the Lord until He comes to reign. So the first thing Israel needed to do in order to turn back to the Lord was to break up that fallow ground. And whether it's the bar meetings from last week or the tent revivals over in the valley, I believe these are attempts at the Holy Spirit's leading to break up the fallow ground of the church. If the fallow ground is not broken up, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and rains revival? The water just runs right off. It doesn't impact. It doesn't affect the growing. And so the first thing as we're praying and we're working and we're longing for revival is we have to begin to break up the fallow ground. So what are the things we have to think about that make us unreceptive to the plan and purposes of God? Anger and bitterness, wrong relationships, pride and arrogance, skepticism of God's ability to do something. What has made the soil of our heart hard? I've noticed in my, in my own life at times a hardness of heart, a hardness of the soil. And what I'm trying to do is to think about every morning before I get out of bed, I believe it's a move of the Holy Spirit, but almost without fail, before I'm out of bed in the, sm- in the morning, my prayer is for holiness and God's plan to be worked out in my life. I don't want to be caught up in the stream of the world. I'm trying to journal my thoughts of Scripture readings and prayer in a more effective and pointed way so I don't forget what God is trying to speak to me. Trying to till up or turn the fallow ground so that I'll be receptive to the water of God's Spirit. As we turn up the fallow ground, we must sow with a view to righteousness and reap in accordance with kindness, the Word tells us. Through Hosea, the call of the Lord was that we are planting with a view, a long view toward righteousness. The sower was to act now, hoping for a harvest later on. By the transformation of the sower in holiness, the reaping of the Lord would be in kindness and not in judgment. God is in effect saying, if you are breaking up the fallow ground, you're sowing to righteousness, then you can expect to reap in kindness. My judgment will not fall upon you. In farming, there are lots of activities that happen in hopes of a future reward. A lot of activities that happen... What's interesting about farming is there's very little instantaneous results. You plant a seed, you till till the soil, you plant a seed, and you wait. You're not paid for planting that seed. You don't have an income for just putting the seed in the ground. In fact, you're expending a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of expense in order to plant the ground. In hopes of reaping something later on, it's a lot of upfront expense in order to look with a view towards the future but the farmer believes that there will be a future. There will be a future harvest. He's willing to put his money on the line. He's willing to put his energy on the line. He's willing to invest in the very beginning in order to look for something that will happen later on that will then be a blessing to him and a blessing to his family. And if you and I as a church, as a people, believe in a future harvest, then we should be willing to sow now without seeing the instantaneous results. Till, plow, plant, water, the gift that is within you. See, instantaneous results are really rarities, aren't they? Even when we read through the Gospels, not everyone was healed. Not everyone was delivered. There were some people who were healed like Lazarus. You know, I don't see Lazarus right now attending church anywhere. I've not heard of Lazarus attending someone's church somewhere. Because Lazarus died again. He died once, was risen from the dead, and he died again. they are not always instantaneous results. Sometimes we have at one time in our life and never again. Sometimes that experience from the Lord is so pointed and so momentous and so powerful in the moment. And what it does is it gives us a taste that we long for the rest of our life. Maybe you're saying to yourself, brother, I've planted... Brother, I've been trying to break up the fallow ground. I've been trying to do this. I've done it over and over. Will I ever see a result? Will there ever be a result? I've been planting, 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 trying to till it up in my life. Will there ever be a result? I believe that Romans 5 gives us the answer to that question. Verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul, he says, we also celebrate in our tribulations... This is the Christian mindset. We celebrate in our tribulations knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance. We celebrate in the tilling of the fallow ground. We celebrate that God is at work in the field of our life. We celebrate our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. When I've seen God work in my life in the difficult times... How can I forsake him? I've seen God's hand at work in the tilling, in the toil, in the turning of the fallow ground. It has produced in me perseverance, and perseverance has its work, and it brings about proven character. And proven character then brings what? Hope. That really is where the rubber meets the road because hope doesn't disappoint. Because what happens is as we work through that process of the tilling of the ground, the turning of the soil, God taking away, cutting away from us, these painful cuts in our life that pull away from us, things that are unrighteous or things that he is not pleased with, things that do not prepare us for the future that he has for us, it produces within us hope that what we're doing now will reap harvest later on. Tribulation, that breaking up of the fallow ground, perseverance, moving forward despite your trials, proven character, steadfast faithfulness, and then hope, realizing that what God has sown will produce a harvest. Finally, Hosea says to us that we continue to persevere, we continue to focus, we continue to turn up the fallow ground until the Lord comes to rain on you righteousness. God will come, and he will bring the rain of the Holy Spirit again. But we must turn up the fallow ground. When rain comes, my yard, I would love to have beautiful grass in my yard, and I've never gotten it. (laughs) When I mow the yard, yesterday, Elijah, we were kind of showing him how to use a lawnmower and mow the yard. When someone else mows a yard, it's like you're in a dust storm out west. (laughs) What little grass we, or mainly clover, but what little grass uh, is around, and then everything else is dust and muck, and uh, when it rains, the water just kind of runs off, and it can be just a muddy, muddy mess. One day, one day, I pray, God, help me to get a plow in that yard, and help me to get some organic soil in that yard to kind of make it fit for a planting. But right now, when the rains come, it doesn't do a thing. It just runs off the, the, the clay mess that is there. It actually just reveals all the rocks and all the mess all the more. doesn't work for the rain to come on fallow ground. Rain has to come on soil that's been tilled. What we're experiencing in terms of our desire for a work of the Lord, both individually and corporately and in our community, I believe that is, you know, throughout this body. And and what I want you to understand is not just this body. There are many good brothers and sisters that God is moving on, many church communities that God is doing a work that have that longing, passion, and desire as well. So what that tells me is God is doing something in order to begin in the church to kind of turn up the fallow ground, which is why what you and I are seeing in our day uh, is an upending of many of the traditional systems. Uh, So for instance, uh, we were, uh, as a, as a, as a group, we came to understand one time, and I'm not, I don't want to reflect poorly on a, on a local church, but let me just, let me frame it this way. There was a small local church that uh, the building became available because the local church had died, had been in existence, I think, over 150 years. And the building was there And the local church had died, and we began to think, well, maybe God, are you calling us to do something there? Is there something there that uh, you're speaking to us? But what I believe is happening, and what I think we're seeing, is an upending of systems, an upending of things in the church that God is not pleased with, and God is turning up the fallow ground. And what we have to say is, are we willing to be a part of that? Because if we want to be a part of that, God's going to stir us up individually, too. There's going to be some some moments of pain and some moments of difficulty and some moments of challenge. There's got to be a willingness within ourselves to sort of be open and allow the work that needs to happen individually in our church and in the, in the church in general, this kind of turning of the soil so that we can then receive the rain in order to bear fruit from the plantings. Are we willing to do that? See, when we, begin to feel that stirring of what God is doing, uh, that is the down payment of what is to come. The farmer can tell, even as a young boy, I could look out my bedroom window and see how the crops were growing and begin to see when they were ready for harvest. When the watermelons got big on the vine, when the corn began to turn its golden color, When the wheat began to form the head and change color as well, when the soybeans began to change color, I would begin to see my uncles begin to put the attachments on the combine to be ready in order to go in for the harvest. But it all had to start way back with thinking about tilling the soil. And that is where I think we are. I believe we are. And God's sovereign plan in our day is that he's wanting to till the soil. His desire is to till the soil of our heart. So I'm going to pray here and ask the Lord to let this word settle on your heart today. And what we'll actually are going to do is have the altar call tonight. So tonight we'll gather at 6 p.m. for prayer. And we're we're going to pray. We're going to earnestly pray, not an orchestrated prayer, but a prayer that we'll pray that God will work through it to teach us, speak to us, that he will actually open himself up to us, that we will know where his heart is where his plan is, maybe even the pain of his heart, which is why at times in the altar you hear people crying out. They're getting a touch of what God feels. Maybe it's over their own sin. Maybe it's over the sin of people in general. It's a touch of what God is feeling, and he kind of puts it there in your life. And then what happens at that moment of Touch where God just kind of ministers and he sort of opens his heart, and you see his pain over unrepentant humanity. Is that then your prayer, your warfare, your intercession becomes all the more powerful? So, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we are going to pray together. And if you are able, I want to invite you back this evening at 6 p.m., and we will pray together. If you're not able to be here, that's no shame on anyone. You pray, maybe you can take the moments and pray at your home uh, this evening from 6 to 7. But we're going to gather here for a specific, focused prayer that God would turn up the soil of our heart, turn up the soil of our church. If we truly want revival, If we truly want to see a work of God and people called to repentance and people living in the fullness of the Spirit, if we truly want to see people brought into uh, the kingdom, then God has to turn up the fallow ground. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy just now. Lord, we pray for your kindness and graciousness to be upon us. Lord, you are not in the glories of heaven ready to take someone and knock them down. That's not your plan. That's not your desire, Lord. For your people, you are calling them up, calling them to experience your heart, calling them, Lord Jesus, to be part of your plan. What a glorious place that is. some of our mindsets about what it means to be in the church, be part of the church, be part of the body of Christ. My mindset about what it means to be in the church, what it means to be part of the body of Christ needs to be turned up. The fallow ground needs to be tilled. The clods need to be broken up. There needs to be a place for planting a place for the work of the Spirit to move. Lord, I pray that we would not not play around with our lives. Not look at the influencers in our world and think, oh, I'd like to be like that. I'd like to have that. I'd like to go there. I'd like to live that kind of life. Oh, Lord, help us not to be there, to go there. Help our minds not to be there, Lord. In that, in that upper room moment of Acts chapter 2, there were a people who were longing. And by the, by the move of the Spirit, they came in unity and in one accord over seeking the Lord Jesus Christ not knowing exactly what was going to happen, knowing Jesus said to wait, knowing Jesus said, I want you to go. But in that moment, in that moment, right there, waiting, waiting in order for the press to go, just kind of waiting, seeing what God was going to do, they didn't really have a a conceptual framework for what was going to happen in Acts 2 and 4. But they were unified, praying, being obedient. So God, I ask you just now to help us towards that end. Till up the fallow ground. Till up the fallow ground of our heart, O Lord. Uh, It may be painful. We may be in the middle of the pain. But we don't walk through that journey of pain without hope. You may be feeling this morning that your life is just kind of decimated. What in the world is going on? it can't be recovered see the gracious hand of god at work his eyes are upon you the farmer never puts his plow in never puts his disc in a field that won't produce he wants to look with an eye to the harvest And so he puts it in the places where he thinks he's going to get a harvest. If the Lord is plowing in your heart, rejoice, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for God of the universe is at work in you. So, God, we rejoice in your presence. We thank you for these moments. We thank you for your kindness and grace, O Lord. Let our thoughts be drawn to you this afternoon, God. In your name we pray. We thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. If you are able to come back tonight, I would uh, just invite you to come. Please come prepared, spend time in the Word this afternoon, spend time in prayer. How will God use you as a point of encouragement as we gather together this evening to ask God to till up the fallow ground of our heart? May the Lord bless you. May His grace and peace be with you as you go. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of His promises and plans for your life.